You're listening to the B2B Content Show, a podcast about the how, what, and why of B2B content marketing. I'm Jeremy Shear, your helpful host. The show is brought to you by Conversa, a podcasting agency that helps B2B brands start podcasts to connect with prospects, grow brand awareness, and create better content. Now, as we all know, case studies can be really powerful bottom-of-the-funnel type content. But case studies can also be a little bit formulaic and, dare I say it, sometimes even a little bit boring because it's a story with kind of a predetermined ending, right? It's always the same thing. Company X had a problem they needed to solve. We swooped in with our amazing solution and technology or whatever. We did this. We did that. We did a whole bunch of things. And then by the end, we solved the problem and everybody lived happily ever after. Come buy our product or service. So. There's nothing wrong with this formula. In fact, it's it works, right? It's tried and true, but it's a little bit predictable. Is there a way to make case studies more interesting? To help us figure that out, my guest today is Julian Lumpkin. Julian is founder and CEO at SuccessKit, a company that helps brands create engaging case studies and video testimonials. Julian, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Jeremy. So let's get right into it. First of all, do you agree with my assessment, assessment that... Case studies can get a little formulaic, a little boring sometimes. I do. Most companies come to us because they don't have enough case studies or any case studies. But when that's not the case, the other reason that companies come to us is because no one's reading their case studies, no one's engaging with their case studies. And the reason for it is exactly like you said, they're boring, they're too long, they're not readable, and they don't hit the mark. So that sounds kind of like a problem. If no one's reading your case study, right, you might as well not even have it. So you just mentioned a couple of things that you I, that I assume you see pretty commonly, too long, kind of boring. So let's get into, into that a little bit more. What are some of the common, besides those things, the common mistakes you see people doing with case studies? The big overarching one, and I think there's a lot of other problems that come out of this, is essentially the company themselves over-engineering the case study. And that leads to a number of different problems. Too long, for example, because if you've got a bunch of marketers working on a case study, they're going to sometimes feel like they have to hit every single point about their product or service. That's just one example. But what the, the bigger issue there is it loses the most important aspect of the case study, which is the authentic customer voice. So we can talk about the different problems this presents, but the overarching big problem is companies trying too hard to make their case study like the rest of their marketing material, use their own language, their own messaging, and lose what makes a case study actually interesting, which is that it's a real customer talking about your product or service. Let's talk a little bit more about that, how that gets lost. If I'm hearing you correctly, it's like There's not enough focus on the personality and quirks or whatever of the company that's being helped and way too much on here's what we did or or is it more the style of how it's done? It's both. Most companies, even when they're not doing the best job of this, will be smart enough to include customer quotes. It's that they want to decide beforehand exactly what they're going to try to get their customer to say. So basically really prompt the customer and say, hey, can you say this? Instead of letting the customer just describe how they solve their problem. One thing I always say to my clients is we want to document 
the way that your clients talk about you when you're not in the room, because that's the way that your prospects are thinking. That's, and that's what makes a case study work. So it's a number of different things and different companies struggle with different aspects of it. It's over-engineering it. So like trying to get the customer to say certain quotes spending way too long talking about the details of the product that the customer might not even know about. So again, mm -hmm. it just comes back to going away from the authentic customer story. And so the overall effect I'm assuming is that it reads more like this is marketing and it's just so obvious and clear that you might as well stop reading halfway through and be like, okay, I, I get it. You solved their problem. Okay. Moving on. Exactly. I always say that case studies are a very unique type of marketing content. You don't want them to sound like you wrote them. You don't want it to be like, here's us and our opinion and our expertise, and we're going to describe things perfectly. No, maybe the rest of your content, I'm not an expert on the rest of the content. Maybe it should sound like that. Maybe it shouldn't. Maybe you want to put your own voice and your own spin on things and describe things super precisely in certain content. But when you do that in a case study, it immediately removes the what makes it actually interesting to people. The reason that case studies are so important and valuable is because people want to hear what other people are saying, people like them. And yeah. that's what they're all about. Any case study that any company publishes is going to be edited, right? It's going to be shaped to, to add value to the company that's publishing it, of course, right? And I guess that's just table stakes. That's a given. But again, if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying that's fine, but doing too much of that will remove the key value, which is that authentic sense of, oh, this is a real customer that actually had a real experience and we're getting the genuine story of that or something like that. Exactly. It's a balance. And, and I'll give you a general framework to kind of get a little more specific of how we recommend okay. approaching this. You as the company can and should guide the types of things that the customer talks about. So we're not saying that you shouldn't guide, just ask them, hey, what do you find valuable about this? What problems do we solve? We're not saying that. You do want to guide what they talk about. What you don't want to do is tell them these specific things that matter most and how to talk about those things. So it's kind of finding a balance of steering them towards the things that are most important for your marketing goals, but then letting the customer describe what matters and why it's valuable. So it sounds a little bit like sort of in my world in, in podcasting that both the host and the guests have enough of a sense of what we're about to talk about. And even the questions you're going to ask and kind of the general gist of the story, but then to have an actual real conversation that can go different ways. And it's at least a little unpredictable. Exactly. It is. It's a good analogy. Another, another thing I compare it to is a really good sales process. When you speak to a, a good sales rep, they're going to have an idea of how, and we're talking about how to interview the client. A good sales rep is going to have an idea of how to structure the conversation and make sure it's not just going off in all different directions. But they're not reading from a list of questions that, that, that kind of has this idea, oh, if I can get them to say this, then they're going to buy. That's like the really old way of doing things. It doesn't work anymore. And it's also similar in a good sales rep is going to get, and this is another thing that I think, this leads me to another mistake we see a lot of people making in their case studies, is not going deep enough on what problems were solved. 
So when they, just like a, an overeager sales rep, someone doing a case study interview will get the client to say, we were struggling with our IT service provider. And then it's like, okay, great. And then like moving on. So we solve that. Instead, it's like, mm. well, tell me more about that. What problems on a day-to-day basis did those IT disruptions cause? How did that make your staff feel? How did you know it was a problem? Who brought it to you? Can you give me an example of when that happened? So being engaged and listening to the client and getting them to really share, not just there was a problem solved, but why that problem mattered. And that's going to make the case study more interesting and more authentic. Why does it make it more interesting and authentic? It makes it more interesting because I think the B2B world is oversaturated with generic problems and results. No one sees an ad saying that they can save you 10% on your service provider and jumps up and says, oh my God, I can't wait to save someone save 10%. We see that everywhere. Everyone's saying they can increase revenue by 25%. But what does connect is when you hear someone say something specific that resonates with you, like my CFO mentioned that the, that the, the system being on a one-day delay was causing sales reps to lose two hours of productivity. That's like, oh, wait, that's actually something like my CFO said. And and my example was a little convoluted there, but I think you get the idea. It's not just like increase revenue 25%, save save 10%. It's like, here are actual things that were happening in my organization. And that's interesting and may resonate with other people rather than just, this was a problem. It was too slow. We made it faster. So that's the difference between the the kind of jumping to the solution and just like you said, glossing over the problem, that's like the generic version of the problem, right? And you're saying, no, 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 it has to be more bespoke. Like the details matter because that's what's going to really resonate with the audience ideally when they'll be like, oh, yeah, we've had a similar problem too, like eerily similar in the way they're describing it or something like that. Exactly. It could be details. It could be emotion. It can be... Mm. Anything that the client really says when you just ask them how they think about things. And each one is so different. I don't want to try to give one answer for everyone. Some companies don't want to get too risky with their case studies and talk about something that made someone upset or talk about an emotion that felt. Some people do. So you can focus on details. You can focus on emotion. It can be a lot of different things as long as it's not generic and boring. Okay, so it needs to be specific and, and real, like an actual real story. Exactly. And, and this makes me think, too, just from like a storytelling perspective, and, and I think this is generally true for a lot of stories, it's not really the outcome that's the most interesting part, because you already know what the outcome is. It's the, the process of getting to that outcome, which, of course, starts with the problem, which is the most dramatic part. Someone is struggling with something. That's like at the basis of every good story. Exactly. And this is only becoming more and more relevant. So 10 years ago when I was in sales and kind of looking at this, most case studies were very outcome driven. And a lot of people still do want to highlight specific metrics. I'm not saying metrics saying showing direct results aren't important. They can be powerful. They can be good. But they only matter when they're in the right context. Because like I said, everyone's saying they can save you 20, 25%. So metrics are good, like results metrics, but they're not as interesting as as people think. 
what is more interesting is how it how it got there. And yeah. I would say we we've seen pretty good case studies that do have metrics, and we've seen outstanding case studies that don't have a specific metric because they really describe the problem and the reader understands that it's not that easy to quantify and it's not that important, but it's someone going on record and saying, I had this real problem. It was causing these real issues in my company and for my life. And this company solved it. And that made a meaningful difference. That's better Mm. than a generic, we save 20% by switching. Because like you said, at this point, that's been repeated so often that it just feels like table stakes. Like, well, sh- of course you did. Or everyone says that. Well, what, that's Tell me something I don't know. Exactly. And, and if, if you're a marketer and you're listening to this, I know it's, it's tempting to think that those things are going to grab people's attention. But think of the way that you buy and see things. When you hear about something, a challenge that you have, and you hear about one of your peers talking about that same problem that that's going to elicit a different response. Yeah. And like you said, I think it's so much of it is emotional, right? And and one of the emotions there at play, I would think is like, oh, I'm not alone. It's not just me. Even if intellectually, of course, it's not just you, but to actually see someone else articulating that or read their account, you're like, oh, I'd so identify with that person. It kind of makes you feel a little better, maybe. That's a great point. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but I can certainly see that. So now the way you guys operate, right? Your your company essentially, well, one thing that I think is really cool, you're not just consulting, you're actually doing the case studies. You're going in as a third party, right? So businesses hire you, you talk to their customers for them, right? And that's an essential part of what you guys do. So why is that valuable? What's the value of having like a neutral third party asking the questions as opposed to the CEO, the owner of the company or whatever? Yeah. So many of the problems we spoke about earlier on are easily solved by a neutral third party. Because if you, the CEO or the account manager or someone from marketing is going in, you're naturally going to go in with such a strong agenda and a way of thinking about things. There's that aspect. But then also the way that your client speaks to you is going to be different. Now, we focus on this. It's all we do. So there's value of having experts do it. But even if you're just working with another third party, they're going to come in with some idea of the situation, but a much more of an open mind and an ability to let the Mm. authentic client story come out. We're obviously really good at it, but any third party that's decent it's going to be more effective than doing that interview yourself. And I imagine that you are kind of like an avatar for the audience, a third party. Every reader is also going to be a third party. They, they don't know much about the inner workings of the company, right? Or, or the client or anything. And so you can kind of ask questions in a way that a third party naturally would. Exactly. You know, what, one of the things, especially early on when we're doing this, one of the questions I would get a lot from people considering working with us is like, well, you're not an expert in our industry. How are you going to do this case study? And I would have to explain that everyone on my team, we have a high business acumen. We understand how to talk about B2B situations. But even the industries where we've done a ton of case studies, we're not claiming to be any experts. And we don't want to be experts in your industry. Because what people forget is that, and maybe this is a a cliche at this point, but you're your prospects aren't thinking about your solution all day long. 
they're thinking about hundreds of other things. So people develop this way of talking about their own products and solutions that becomes out of touch with the way that their prospects do. And case studies are a perfect opportunity because the people who think most like your prospects are your clients. So you want to really document that. And you're going to put your own spin on it and naturally take the conversation and the approach. It's just going to approach it differently if it's yourself, where a third party can fairly easily get the client to talk about things authentically, the way that they would talk if they were doing a reference call. It's not that difficult for a third party. And and that's what gets yeah. what gets lost if you do it yourself. Yeah, that sounds like a crucial point. Like, number one, the, the audience for a case study is not an audience of experts in your technology or, or whatever you're doing, right? And so there's a risk if it's you or someone from your company asking the questions, you're so close to it. You have to, like, assume a kind of neutral stance, which you can never quite really do. And like you said, the 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 person you're interviewing definitely knows that. And they're like, well, it's a, it, I can see, like, there's – it's. It's not a neutral situation. There's kind of a weird power dynamic at play there. Exactly. It's it's hard for them to be authentic and it's hard for them to just speak candidly when when they're speaking to the CEO themselves. And and I do want to make a quick caveat that there are times where case studies need to be pretty technical. It's not all the time, but especially if you're selling to a very technical audience, so there does need to be some understanding of the technical details. I don't want to say that you always want to totally gloss over that, but an experienced B2B marketer can learn enough in a briefing call where you can still use a third party to do a technical case study, in my opinion. Now, here's something I'm curious about. Given that you're enabling the client to speak more freely and authentically, so what do you do in the case where they start talking about some stuff that's like not great? Hmm. Well, this part was okay, but we really didn't like that bit. And then we had this problem. I mean, that's authentic for sure. In in your experience with the clients you're working for, does that kind of stuff ever actually make its way into the final case study? Because I could see how done just the right way, it might really come across as kind of cool. Like, oh, wow, this is really authentic. Like this is totally real and definitely more interesting than everything was awesome all the time. But I'm curious, like, how does that work? Yeah, it's an interesting question, Jeremy. And if it was up to me, we might dabble in that a little bit more. I can think of one example where where that was the case and the client did want to put that in there. But most of the time, it doesn't go that far. Mm-hmm. You want to remain authentic and really have the client describe things their own way. But if the main thing that the client wants to talk about are things that didn't go well, that might not be the best opportunity for a case study. So it's possible. And and I'd like to see companies push the limits more on these things. But I don't see my clients being open to it. And I can't make a strong recommendation for it because it's an interesting idea. But I also study what the best, the top 100 B2B brands in the world do. And I haven't seen people go that far as far as authenticity in case studies. I guess it would be a pretty hard sell. Just publish something that's not 
very positive about your brand. I think, yeah, I, I think there could be like a, a, a time and place for it as far as customer content, but maybe not in a case mm. study. Like, for example, yeah. you and I spoke offline about the idea of like interviewing your clients on your podcast and like it's sort of a case study. Yeah. And I could see it getting into kind of like the less formal versions of that mm. in the right mm. context, but we don't see companies taking it that far in a case study. Yeah, I can see that. Right. Because in a podcast, in the course of a conversation, you might be able to kind of go there, but then actually have a conversation about it, which is, would be much different like in print, just a bold statement. It's a little out of context or a different kind of context. So you, people could get the wrong idea. Yeah. And, and it's also the case that when, when you're looking at a company's case studies, buyers are savvy. If you go to a company's website and you see six case studies, you're not thinking, okay, this is a perfect representation of their average six clients. You're thinking right. these are their big wins that they want to show off and kind of sell yeah. to us. So they really are meant to be your best success stories, not a full understanding of all of your clients. And, and I imagine too that even in the best, most interesting case study, there's some understanding on the part of any prospect reading it that like, okay, this is a little bit an idealized version of how everything went down. Yeah, right? I like think it's so. It's not literally capturing every little twist and turn because nothing ever goes that smoothly. But using the method that you guys use, you can still make it compelling and interesting in any case. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I think obviously buyers are very sophisticated now and they're going to do different research to try to get a a picture of how satisfied your your clients are on the whole case studies are not meant to show that so i think yeah the the, the reader knows that that rather it's the yeah. salesperson or the marketer's opportunity to show them what is possible and get them to think what is possible for their yeah. own organization yeah so what's your advice, kind of final thoughts for marketing teams that want to level up their case studies? Well, I'll answer in two ways. I think for a lot of marketers, the most significant advice I would give them is to just get started and actually get them done. Because the bigger problem, like I mentioned at the beginning of the call, that marketers, that salespeople, that founders are struggling with is not having enough. So... I want to preface this by saying like the, the, the key to case studies is not creating the perfect case study. It's getting started and getting them done. Cause what you hear as the bigger problem is we don't have any, or we have very few. So mm. the first piece of advice mm -hmm. before I even say that is to make sure you have at least three, six, 10 or 12, uh, depending on the size of the company. If you're a medium sized company, that number should be more like 20, but you know, real minimum table stakes to have a solid repository of case studies. And if you have a, some case studies and my advice on leveling them up or starting them from the right place, it would be to, in some part of the process, engage a third party. Not everyone's going to want to outsource their case studies to a company like mine. If you're a marketer that has time for this, you may want to do the writing, manage the design and everything. Have an outsider do the interview, have an outsider do the editing. So find some way to involve kind of a, a more neutral third party in the process. Excellent advice. 
So final question, Julian, how can people connect with you? Yeah, great. So I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. You can find me there, Julian Lumpkin. And if you'd like to talk to us about your case studies, you can find us at successkit. That's the word success, K-I-T dot I-O. Be happy to help. We offer a free consultation where I'll really just sit down and kind of just talk to anyone about their situation, not just push our own services, but we can obviously help with that as well. Awesome. Well, we'll put a link to your LinkedIn and to your company in the show notes. So listeners go straight to the show notes, check it out. Well, thank you so much, Julian, for a really cool conversation. I think this is the first time we've talked about case studies on the show. So I'm really glad we had this opportunity. Thanks for asking some great questions, Jeremy. It's a pleasure. That's it for this episode of the B2B Content Show. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over-the-top comment about how much you love the podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who you think would be a great guest, let us know. You can contact me at jeremy at conversa.com. That's C-O-N-N-Versa.com. The B2B Content Show is brought to you by Conversa Podcasting. Check us out at conversa.com to learn more about how we help B2B brands start podcasts to connect through conversation with the buyers and decision makers you need to get to know to grow your business. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.